Okay, so we are uh, in the middle of a series, a very, very brief series, three, three messages on spiritual gifts. And this is number two of the three. Uh, last week, we began our series, so let me just give you a very, very quick, quick recap. Let me remind you, first of all, that this is a little different for me to preach this kind of series. It's, a, it's a, a very much a teaching series. If we had, uh, if we had you know, multiple services uh, or, or like a Wednesday night church group kind of thing, this, that's where I would, would do a sermon like this typically uh, that is highly teaching oriented, but because this is our context, this is our, our vehicle for, uh, for big group gatherings right now, this is where I'm, I'm going to do it. And we're doing it on the heels of uh, spending the fall thinking about the church, these different metaphors of the church, what is so wonderful about the church, why God created the church and instituted the church for the purpose of uh, encouraging and building up his, his bride, that is, you and I, and advancing the cause of his kingdom here in the world. And uh, so on the heels of that series, we're sort of thinking through how we participate in the work of Christ to advance His kingdom in the world. And, and, and remember last week, we, we looked at several things. First of all, we, we, we tried to understand that gifts are something that are given to us, which makes them different from talents. Talents are something that you may have based upon sort of inheritance through genetics, uh, that kind of thing. There's something that you can cultivate if you have sort of innate athletic ability or music ability or mathematical ability or ability with words, you, you, you can develop those things uh, through practice and hard work, etc. Spiritual gifts are different. They are bestowed upon us by God. They are given to us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they're not something that we produce in and of ourselves. And that makes them different kind of from talents. Now, I've had some questions about that there, because, you know, there seems to be overlap between talents and gifts, and that is absolutely true. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, this morning. But the distinction remains the same. The gifts of the Spirit are not natural things that you produce. They are things that is given to you by God. And they're given to you by God specifically for the purpose of serving the church. They're not given to you by God so that you can uh, have a career uh, and build a business, uh, meet uh, women, um, be really good at sports. They're not given to you for those purposes. They're given to you by God to encourage and strengthen and build up the church of Christ. And then the third thing we said was that God is the one who makes them effective. God is the one who empowers them. And that is something very interesting about spiritual gifts that, that is important for us to remember because um, you, can, you can think that you're not necessarily very gifted at something. You can think that you're not necessarily very good at something. And then you deploy that ability in the church to the measure that God has given you. And, and strangely enough, from a human perspective, it shouldn't bear much fruit because you're not necessarily that great at it. But because this is a gift of the Spirit, God may decide to bless that ministry dramatically and far beyond your expectations. 
because it's his decision. It's he who decides where to use gifts and how to, how to bless people's use of gifts, and he's the one who energizes them in the first place. So those are the three things that we, we looked at, and we, we kind of thought about um, a, an implication that I'm going to bring up again uh, this morning, and that is this. If you don't use your gifts, if you don't put them to work in the life of the church, you actually weaken the body. If you refuse to participate in the function of, of the, the church, you actually weaken the body. Think about this. If your knee refuses to do the things that it's supposed to do as a knee, then the body is weakened. You can compensate for it, but over time, talk to people who have had knee problems, over time what happens is, is you walk funny and that starts giving you back problems and the back problems start climbing up your back and the next thing you know you've got a neck problem and the next thing you know you've got headache problems. It leads to all kinds of problems. That one thing, because we're all connected, that one thing can cause problems in all kinds of other places. And if the church is like a body and functions like a body, when we don't deploy the gifts that God has given us, then that means that the church is, is, is negatively affected by that. So what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to think a little bit more about spiritual gifts, and we're going to do three things. First of all, we're going to think about what the benefits of serving the church with your gifts are, what the benefits are, then we're going to see um, how do we identify and understand spiritual gifts, and then how do we discover our spiritual gifts. And if you're the kind of person who loves, like, taking notes and having all these points to take notes on, this is totally your kind of sermon, okay? It's like super content-driven. There's not a lot of drama, no, no cool stories to inspire. It's just meat from beginning to end. And what I'm giving you is what seminary students typically get uh, when they go to seminary and their profs teach them about spiritual gifts and it's packaged very much in a way that, that I learned from, from Tim Keller, uh, who I learned this kind of stuff from. So if it's familiar to you, now I've told you why it's familiar to you because it's everywhere. So first of all, the benefits of serving. Notice that in verse 3, it says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is very interesting. Paul says that, that as we're discerning the use of our gifts, we're, we're, we're using sober judgment. We talked about that a little, bit, uh, a little while ago, what sober judgment means as, as opposed to inebriated type judgment. But what he's uh, essentially getting at is that this is one of the main benefits of, of serving the church uh, with your gifts is that you discover your aptitudes. You discover what you are good at. When you just do stuff, all kinds of different things in the, in the life of the church, you try serving in all kinds of different ministries and, and, uh, and service opportunities, what you gain is you gain self-knowledge. You think you know what you are good at in church and for the church. But if gifts are spiritual and they are something that God gives us, there are things that, that you don't realize that you're good at. So, for example, uh, someone may think that, that uh, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a very good administrator, I'm very good with numbers, I'm very good with systems, I'm very good at that kind of thing. I'm not actually very good at interpersonal relationships and stuff like that. In my work, uh, I'm an accountant, or I am an uh, actuary, or I am an engineer, or I am something that deals with concrete things. That's what I do in my work. I'm not really involved with people, and I don't get along real well with people, that kind of stuff. I'm kind of introverted, and I don't like to talk a lot, and I'm, I'm kind of reserved, and that kind of thing. And so, you don't volunteer for ministries in the church that have anything to do with, like, a lot of relational involvement with people, because you think that's just not your jam. That's not what you're good at. But you're part of a life group, and as you've been in that life group, there's one younger person that you started to get to know a little bit in your life group, and you said, hey, you know, I, I, yeah, I kind of like that person. I typically don't like people, but I kind of like that person, and so I'll, I'll invite them out for coffee sometime, and then you invite that young person out for coffee, and it turns out that they have some things going on in their lives that they, that they are struggling with, issues that they're not... Uh, sure how to handle, and as you talk to them about it, you, you discover that you may have some useful, helpful, biblical, Christ-centered things to share with them. And lo and behold, you have mentoring gifts. You never would have thought you did, but you do, because these things are things that God has given you for the upbuilding of the church that haven't translated uh, very easily into your vocational life. So the first benefit of serving, with, uh, serving all over the place and, and, and uh, uh, using your gifts is you discovered what you are good at. Second of all, you find community. You find community. We talked about how uh, in our culture we are consumers. When we think of service, we think of, am I getting good service? That's how we think of service. That's what we're looking for from people is we're looking for good service. But in the Bible, service is something that we are thinking about providing for the benefit of others. And consumer, a consumeristic attitude is, is solitary. If you come to church just looking to have your needs met, just looking to have your, you know, your spiritual cup filled or, your, or, or get a buzz from the worship or get inspired from the preaching and then you leave, then you've turned church basically into a product. And frankly, you won't really get to know community very well. But as you serve, you'll always be serving with others and you will rub shoulders with people and you will get to know them better and you will develop relationships. And oftentimes, some of your closest relationships within the church come from the people that you're serving with simply because you spend time with them. Third thing is, is you will find fulfillment. You will be part of something that is bigger than you that, you, that you see is touching people's lives. It is affecting their lives. Jesus said it is more blessed than to give than to receive. Why did he say that? Because it's true. We know that's true. The secular world knows that's true. You uh, go on the Happiness Lab podcast, and they have an entire... Uh, episode basically describing how when you involve yourself in service, when you are self, not self-centered, but other-centered and worry about meeting the needs of others instead of worrying about meeting your own needs, you find that fulfilling. Now, there's a paradox here. If you, if you serve for the sake of finding fulfillment, you won't find fulfillment because it's still self-centered. But if you serve for the sake of blessing others, one of the byproducts of that is 
personal fulfillment. And that's everything from running this. When you come to church and you say, all I do is run the sound or all I do is hit the button for the slideshow or whatever. All I do is, is pick up chairs or, or, or clean up uh, the sign afterwards. You're still part of something that's created a, an atmosphere and a context for other people to be blessed. Lord willing, anyway. So those are the benefits. Okay. Those are the benefits of serving in the church and using your spiritual gifts for that. Now, what about identifying the spiritual gifts? Remember I said that that gifts are not just the same as talents. Of course, there is overlap. Of course, there is overlap. If you are uh, someone who in your working life you have to do a lot of presentations and you have to, you, you know, you have to, if you're a teacher, for example, in your working life, there's, there's very often, it's very often true that you can teach well in the church context as well, but they aren't exactly the same. Look at verse 6. It says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given, us, given to each of us. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Um, There are a variety of individual gifts, but you can kind of cluster the gifts under three different types. So they kind of fall under under three different headings. And if you look at the screen, you'll see um, that uh, I've had a a, Kate made up a really nice uh, slide there it is. Yes, a very nice slide that sort of categorizes the different gifts for us under these three headings. So you have prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, and kingly gifts. And these mirror the three offices of the Old Testament. If you remember way back in September, we talked about the three offices of the Old Testament. And most people's spiritual gifts sort of cluster around or center around one of these headings, one of these types, prophetic or priestly or kingly, or possibly two. All together, all right, these gifts reflect Christ's character. Christ was the God-man. He was perfect and complete in every way, and he fulfilled those offices of prophet, priest, and king perfectly, and therefore he had all the gifts in perfect measure. So we're just going to go through these together very briefly to give you a taste of of what these gifts are like. So first of all, the prophetic gifts, the prophetic gifts, and you'll see it says, speaks to the people for God. This is understanding, gifts uh, that center around understanding and articulating truth. And they are characterized by, oftentimes by boldness and by clarity. It's, It's coming alongside someone and saying, I'm going to help you understand God's truth understand his word i'm going to help you understand god's will and so of course prophecy is one of these gifts which uh most scholars were not looking when when we look at these gifts we're not talking about sort of new revelation that you may that's what may be what comes to mind when you think of of prophecy but rather prophecy is sort of understood as dynamic or particularly illumined truth-telling you see, teaching is on the list. So having, the teaching, having a teaching gift is, is helping people learn God's Word, helping people understand the Bible, helping people understand who God is. Of course, evangelism is on that, that list, helping people um, 
believe. You'll also see that there is languages and interpretation of languages. These are part of the charismatic gifts, which I'm sure I'm going to get questions on uh, in the Q&A time, so I'm not even going to answer it right now because I'll have to answer it later. But these gifts, uh, oh, and you'll also see, um, oh, it's not, I didn't put it on there, but it's also included in there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have the gift of knowledge or the, or the gift of discerning spirits. And this is sort of understood by scholars as, as, as insight into being able to discern truth from falsehood. So there are false ideas in the world. There are the, the uh, idols of our, our culture and those with discernment gifts and insight gifts are able to discern those false truths or those false gospels or those false idols that exist. Then you have priestly gifts. Priestly gifts speaks to God for the people. So a prophet is, is often characterized as a mouthpiece for God to the people. Well, what does a priest do? A priest uh, intercedes between people and God. They, they are people who can understand and supply basic needs. They can understand the basic needs of people and they are able to supply it. These are, this is the gift of advocacy. This is the ability to, to sympathize with people. Many of you know that that's where your gifts lie because what you like to do is, is you like to come alongside people and help them deal with God, help them deal with the world, and empathy is something that you have in spades. You are a feeler. You can empathize with people's uh, situations. And so, for example, in the list that we got from uh, Romans chapter 12, it says in verse 8, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. And that word is a very interesting word. The gift of encouragement is the word parakleo, and it means basically to motivate people, sort of like a counselor will oftentimes, or a coach, okay? You'll see also there is the gift of helping. I should just look at that screen. That's what I should do. There is the gift of helping. That is the ability to give assistance to people uh, without usurping their own agency. What do I mean by that? You know when you have, you know, your, your kids in grade three and they have to do their math homework and you help them with their math homework? I say grade three because once you get past that, I can't help anymore. Uh, so they're in grade three and you're going to help them with their math homework and it, it takes a long time, right? Because they don't necessarily get it right away unless they're one of those engineer type people, number type people, and you've got to go over it slowly and you've got things to do. And so what you want to do is you just want to say, move over, let me do it. I'll help you with your homework. Boom, done, let's carry on. That's usurping their agency and they're not actually learning anything from your assistance. You're someone who has the ability to do that. The gift of healing means to, to be able to facilitate emotional and spiritual and sometimes even physical healing. Uh, the gift of pastoring. A, a pastor is someone who, who knows what a person needs to grow spiritually and then is able to provide for that need. Okay, uh, this isn't just preaching or teaching. Okay, this is this is this is a little different. 
This is coming alongside a person and, and in a very intentional way, not just preaching is often a big, big room kind of ministry, right? Like we're experiencing right now, you know, you know it's like buckshot, right? You, you fire off with a shotgun and all the buckshot goes out like crazy. This, pastoring, is, is being able to be person-specific and to understand what that person needs to grow spiritually and being able to provide it. Uh, serving means meeting the practical needs of people and meeting them effectively. Giving is, is also on the list. This is fascinating. This is actually related to wealth. There are people who have the spiritual gift of giving, meaning God has given them financial means. They have a lot of financial means, but God has given them an ability to use those financial means in the church for the sake of the kingdom of God. Not, they have an uncanny ability to know where to release their, their financial, their wealth, their funds, in such a way that it actually builds up and blesses the community. Because sometimes you can do that and, and it's actually not good for the church. You can just make things easy for the church or you can enable people uh, to do, you know, negative things, uh, uh, continue to do negative things in their lives simply because you have the means to be able to do that. So that's a, that's a specific gift. And then, of course, there is the gift of mercy. And the gift of mercy is not just the ability to feel a, another person's pain, although that is certainly part of it. It's, it's to be able to enter into another person's pain and suffering in such a way as to actually, at the end of it, make them feel better. See, because sometimes you can enter into another person's pain and suffering and you just make them feel worse. You guys both feel bad. You commiserate. And by the end of it, you're both bawling and, and depressed. But this is an ability to bear another person's burden in such a way that that actually lightens their burden and they feel strengthened and encouraged by it. These are the priestly gifts. And then, there's the category of kingly gifts. And these are a little bit unique in the sense that... Uh, you know, the prophetic gifts and the priestly gifts, these are often sort of me helping you, you, you know, you helping another individual. Kingly gifts are very much corporate gifts. They're, they're understanding group direction and group needs. Understanding group direction and group needs. These are the gifts of getting stuff done. Um, it's more about how we get things done than it is about me helping you individually. They're a corporate gift, as I said. So, for example, you have the gift of apostleship. And, and there, are, you know, there are ways that this gift is described that are, I think are unbiblical, frankly. Um, but when understood properly, the gift of apostleship is, is, is a kind of a founder gift. It's uh, those of you who have entrepreneurial kind of tendencies, you may have this gift of apostleship. But there's others, there's the gift of leadership, which falls underneath that. Sometimes people say the gift of apostleship was having all the leadership gifts. Um, but I think you can at least separate out the idea that apostleship is sort of an entrepreneurial spirit. You have an ability to, to see an opportunity and a, a way of being able to sort of figure out how to capitalize on that opportunity. That's apostleship. Then you have leadership, which is essentially vision casting. You have the ability to see, uh, uh, have a vision and get people excited and united around that vision 
And then there's, of course, the gift of administration because, you know, you can be really excited about visions and, and get people riled up, etc., but have no idea how to actually get it done. And so there are people who have the gift of administration who are able to take that vision and say, now here are the steps that need to be uh, followed in order to accomplish that vision. Uh, the gift of wisdom, which is the gift of problem solving. It's not just knowing what needs to be done, but it's also knowing how to do it. That's the gift of wisdom. And then there's also on the list the gift of faith. And this is probably not saving faith. Most scholars don't believe that this is saving faith. Rather, it is the ability to envision a goal very clearly when, when, when others around you can't necessarily see it. Oftentimes, it goes with an apostle, uh, sort of the apostleship entrepreneurial gift. You have the ability to see you, to believe this can be done when everybody else is... You need people to sit around and sometimes and say, no, no, I don't think so. But you also need people who say, no, 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 you say no, but this can be done. I just, we just got to figure out a way to do it. That's the gift of faith. So, that's a lot of gifts, right? And this is kind of like probably raising more questions than it is answering in many of your heads, but... but I'm just trying to give you a, a picture of what the various gifts of the Spirit look like. And they often come in clusters. They often come kind of in, in areas. So if you're, you're, if you're a prophetic, if you're gifted prophetically, you may have several prophetic gifts. Uh, if you're gifted priestly in a priestly way, you may have several uh, priestly gifts. You notice that there's no gift of preaching? Interesting, eh? There's no gift of counseling either. Isn't that interesting? And that's because um, there are types of preachers, there are types of counselors, right? You could have a very mercy-oriented counselor or you could have a very wisdom-oriented counselor. Some counselors are very good at empathizing, empathizing with you and, and listening to you hear, and hearing your story and telling your story. Other counselors are very good at hearing what the problem is and giving you steps to overcome. Both counselors, different types of counselors. Some preachers are very good at teaching. Some preachers are very good at sort of exhorting and convicting. Some pre preachers are very good at evangelizing. Bill Bright, uh, he was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. The guy was an incredible evangelist. I mean, they used to say that if you sat beside him on an airplane and you were an atheist, when you took off, you were a Christian by the time you landed. It's unbelievable. Just had this gift. Now, when you add to this the fact... Okay, and these are a couple facts. Gifts are often suited to different contexts. So you may have uh, a prophetic gift of teaching, but you're not suited to do that in a large group setting, but you are suited to do that in a small group setting. Or you may be more inclined to use that gift among adults, or you may be inclined to use that gift among children. So there are different contexts. And then there are different, I didn't know how else to put this, so I just said power levels <laughs> um, of gifts. Meaning that, that you and someone else may have the same sort of gift in preaching or teaching, but for some reason they just have it in greater measure than you do. Paul even says that, uh, to use your gift in according to the measure of, uh, given to you. And there are different seasons in your life where your gifts may be deployed in different ways. So uh, even though it wasn't in the church specifically, there was a time where Jess and I and our family, we were regular foster parents. And so Jessica's gifts, uh, she has an incredible gift of nurturing and, and uh, uh, 
I don't even know how to describe it. Just, just being, is, is patience a gift? She had a ton of patience. Still has a ton of patience that was, that was employed a lot with our foster children. Well, now we are not fostering, but she still has the opportunity to use that gift. Grace Kids is one of the places she does it. Now, you put that all together, everything that I've said together, and here's, here's the point that you need to know. Your gift set, or you can call it your gift matrix if you want, is as unique as your fingerprint. They are your gifts. God has given them to you specifically for the times and places that they will be manifested, and nobody else has them the way you have them. And that's what, you know what that means? That means that there are things in the life of the church that only you can do the way you do them. And there are people in the body whom, to whom only you can minister to the way you minister to them. Doesn't mean that nobody else can care for them, but they can't care for them the way you care for them. This is, this is what I just said, discovering your gifts. Okay, no, this was identifying the gifts, okay? So your gift set is unique. Third point, all right, so now the question is, how do we, how do we discover our gifts, okay? Because, you know, the Bible doesn't actually say much about that. It sort of leaves us to figure that out on our own to, to some degree. So let me just share with you, first of all, two things you've got to make sure you don't do as you discover your gifts. First of all is you need to avoid uh, what Tim Keller calls gift cop-out. Um, gift cop-out. All gifts that are, all the gifts that are mentioned, um, they're also things that, that Christians should have in some measure. Except for the ex- charismatic slash extraordinary gifts, those were unique to a time and place, and you can ask me about that in the Q&A if you want. But gift of faith, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of, of encouragement, they're all also things that all Christians are supposed to do. And so you can't say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I never have to witness. That's a cop-out, okay? We're all supposed to be merciful. We're all supposed to try to empathize with those who are suffering and hurting. But some people are gifted for that, You can't use the fact that you don't think you're gifted in something as an excuse not to participate in something and not to use and not to do that very thing even if you don't feel particularly gifted at it. Second of all, avoid gift projection. Um, Sometimes you can look at certain gifts and you can can admire them so much that, that you feel bad about the fact that you don't have those gifts. And you, you wonder, why don't I have those gifts? What's wrong with me? Is it, is it a faith thing? Is it, a, is it a lack of Christian maturity thing? Is it because I don't care as much as these people? And the answer is no. You just, God hasn't gifted you in that way. And that's okay. Probably worse, of that, worse than that, though, is to, um, to think that your gifting is what everybody should be doing. And that's the one that can be really, really dangerous because if you have a certain set of gifts and you employ them and you use them for the building up of the church, that usually means that you're pretty passionate about this ministry and it matters to you a lot. And when you look at the church and you see that there are other people in the church who aren't getting super excited about the thing that really, really excites you, you can sort of look down on them and say, like, what's wrong with them? Why don't they care about mercy ministry the way I do? 
Why don't they care about evangelism ministry the way I do? Why don't they care about these things as much as, as I do? But listen to what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15 through 19. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. That's, that's gift um, projection on the negative side, right? I don't have that gift. I don't have the gift of the ear. I'm, I'm a foot, not an ear. Well, then I shouldn't be part of the body. And Paul says, no, that's foolishness. If the whole body were an eye, where should the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So for example, we, we have been pushing ministry through safe families here in Grace Valley, and that's because we believe that it is part of the DNA that sort of started this church. There were a lot of people who were involved in adoptive ministries and involved in orphan care ministry like fostering, etc. And, and, and more people since then have gotten involved as well in various ways. And so we push that. And, but here's the thing. What's wonderful about the Safe Families Ministry, and this isn't a sales pitch. This just comes as a really, I think, fair application of what we're talking about here. There are so many different ways to be part of that ministry. Your gifts will find use in it. Right? If your gift is hospitality, right? maybe you become a family friend. If your gift is administration, maybe you become a family coach. If your gift is caring for those in, in desperate need, maybe you become a, a host family. If your gift is administrative, maybe you become a family coach for that reason and you help people with finances or you help people uh, organize their schedule, whatever. Do you get what I'm saying? What's wonderful is that the body does it together. Every part matters. Some parts seem more visible. Some gifts seem more visible. Some gifts seem to be deployed in, in greater, with greater uh, uh, fanfare in the life of the church, but every gift is really, really important. So, gift projection. Those of you who, you know, like I love theology and I love teaching theology and I love talking about theology. It's very, very dangerous for me to say, what's wrong with you people who don't want to read theology and talk theology all the time? You can, you can start to look down on others. So, that's the thing. So, here's what, here's what you do as you try to discover your gifts. Three things, okay? You look for affinity, ability, and opportunity. When those three things come together, you got what you're looking for. First of all, affinity. What interests you? What are you passionate about? And I don't mean just what church thing are you passionate about. What subject are you passionate about? Do you love tech? Are you into technology? Do you love music? Do you really enjoy cooking? Do you, are you, do you know where all the greatest coffee shops are in Hamilton and you love just hanging out for an hour and having coffee with people because you're just really interested in people. Are you a really good listener? Do you love to listen to people as they tell their story? Do, are you a really good organizer? What, what do you love to do? So that's first of all, what do you love to do? Not, not what, what are you good at because that's the second one. So affinity, what do you love to do? What interests you? Second of all, ability, what are you good at? 
Or better yet, what do people say you're good at? Because sometimes you think you're good at something that you're not so great at. Uh, and sometimes, often, actually oftentimes, more often, you're good at something that you don't necessarily think you are, and it's because, frankly, it doesn't excite you. So, you know, I have in my own family someone who I think is extremely good with children, but that doesn't super excite them. Uh, and so they don't, they don't want to admit that they're good with children. Do you get what I'm saying? So you've got to ask other people, what am I good at? To understand what your ability is. And then thirdly, opportunity. What doors for service are open to me? What, what needs to get done? You look at the church, you listen to the pastor each week saying, we need, we need, we need, we need. <laughs> okay? You know that those are doors for opportunity. Now, when all those three things come together, all right, then you can begin to see what God maybe has called you to or equipped you for in certain circumstances. But what I want to propose to you is that you start with opportunity, especially when you're thinking of using your gifts in the church. Find out what needs to be done and just do them. And don't worry about whether you really like it. Don't worry about whether you're really good at it. Just do it. And that is because, and don't worry about if you're finding it super fulfilling. Because frankly, if you're doing it uh, simply because you want to do something that's super fulfilling, then you're not really serving. Find out what needs to be done, and then do it. Because, what did, I, what did I write here? It's the only way you're ever really going to know the kind of ministries that you're best at. You've got to try a whole bunch of different things. You know, we've got people who are sitting behind that. I don't know, Ralph, I'm going to call you out, but I don't know if you've ever done this stuff before, but you're doing it now. And we have all kinds of other people trying things in this church that they never thought they'd try before. And sometimes they're discovering, whoa, this is not for me. But other times they're discovering, whoa, this is, this is something that I'm better at than I thought I would be. And I find it very fulfilling, okay? And if you only think about your abilities from the workplace and you try to translate them into the church, you actually might miss latent gifts that you have that have never been unleashed in the life of the church because you've made assumptions. So what do we need? We need everything. And if you're willing to try almost anything, all you have to do is email Kate and say, sign me up for something, sister. And get the app so you can block out your dates so you can't be involved in stuff at certain times because we understand we all go on vacations, we all go visit family occasionally, etc. But I want to challenge those of you who are not serving yet and, and don't use your lack of being a member as an excuse because this church had people serving in it long before we ever even had our first covenant members. That's never stopped anybody from serving in this church. Uh, if you, I want to challenge you. If you're not serving regularly in any ministry yet, just say, how can I help? And we'll plug you in and we'll explore together what God has gifted you for service for. All right, very, very practical, but now finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us all gifts to use in the life of the church. Uh, give us the desire, Lord, to use them. And if we don't have the desire to use them, Father, uh, give us the desire to have the desire to use them. 
And may that just be enough. Sometimes you just got to do it. Uh, And do a lot less navel-gazing and a lot more Jesus-gazing. As we look at him, we see someone who did... Who, who unleashed all his gifts for the life of the church and then he sacrificially deployed them in service, paying the ultimate price to win us as his bride. So strengthen us, Father, for that task as well, simply because we want to give, give back to our Savior who gave his everything to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. Yep, here we go. Questions, questions, questions. Uh, first question is, should Christians be focused on trying to power up a level in their spiritual gifts, or is it more just based on the measure we have been given? So that's a great question. I think one of two things, I think two things. First of all, you should be focused on using the measure that's been given you, and leadership in churches should be looking out for people who they see gifted for things and finding ways to help them uh, power up, if you will, or, or actually not power up, but expand their, their opportunities and responsibilities. Uh, and if you personally feel like you have gifts uh, in an area that you want to deploy, then you should talk to leadership about how to do that and, and, and test them. And, and if you find that they're being, that, that God is blessing your usage of them, Uh, Hopefully you and the church together, church leadership together, can find ways to expand uh, your use of those gifts in more and more contexts. Tell us some more about the language gift. I knew somebody was going to ask this, and then of course Kate made sure. She's the one who asked it. I'm calling her out because I'm also going to get her on Tuesday. Okay, the language gift. You'll notice that I didn't put tongues. I put language down. And that's because I think that the gift of tongues is a earthly language. Uh, there is a part about where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and I have not loved, then I am just a resounding gong. That is 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I think he's not describing the, the tongue of angels as something that human beings actually would have access to. He's using hyperbole to get a point across. I believe that the biblical uh, um, pattern for speaking in tongues is speaking in other languages and should be accompanied with the interpretation of those languages. Uh, There are people who have sort of a personal sort of prayer language, what they could call their personal prayer language, and they call it speaking in tongues when they're personally in in their devotional life praying to God. I'm fine with people calling that their personal prayer language. I do think, however, that, that um, there's, less, uh, there's less biblical reason to call it s- technically speaking in tongues as the Bible describes speaking in tongues when it's their personal uh, private prayer language. Uh, if you come to the membership class, you get uh, an appendices, a set of appendices that explains sort of Grace Valley's position on a whole bunch of different things, including charismatic gifts. And we are part of the PCA, which is a denomination that is largely what we call generally cessationist, meaning the extraordinary gifts of miraculous healings, of, uh, of speaking in tongues, uh, that those kinds of gifts are are suspended since the closing of the canon. So they were gifts, and, and prophecy as a new uh, 
teaching of, of God to his people, those things were necessary dur- during the time of the writing and compiling of the Bible. But once that was compiled, everything that God needed as a witness to his power and everything that God needed to tell us about who he is and how we can be saved and how we ought to live as followers of Christ was completed. And therefore, those miraculous gifts were no longer necessary. However, we also believe that there are, there are times and places around the world where the gospel may, uh, may be introduced uh, for the first time in a new way in a culture. You hear about this when, when people from different tribes or different places around the world, they've never heard of Jesus and the gospel comes to that place uh, where um, you have a clash of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and these miraculous gifts, these, or these extraordinary gifts, I should say, are once again manifested, but it's not the regular operation of the church uh, over the course of, of the last 2,000 years. And therefore, in, in Grace Valley, we don't, um, we don't incorporate the extraordinary gifts in the worshiping life of the church because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, for the sake of understandability and for the sake of unbelievers, you need to make sure that everybody understands what's happening in a worship service because that's how God is glorified Uh, for those who are not believers. And so we don't incorporate those gifts into the life, uh, the worshiping life of our church for that reason. If you want to ask me more about that, feel free uh, to talk to me after the service. There was one more question. Can a spiritual gift feel like a burden? Totally. (laughs) Um, I don't think it will feel like a burden perpetually, however. I don't think God will gift you with something that is perpetually a burden. It may feel like a burden for seasons and for times, but if it is a gift that you have been given by God, it is something that I believe God will give you for the purpose of building up the church, which will will also build you up as well. So, for example, um, many people with uh, what I'll call prophetic gifts. When I, when I say that, I mean people who have gifts of preaching and teaching, pastors like myself. Uh, it's not like every Sunday uh, pastors want to uh, use their gifts. There are Sundays where we don't. I'm, I'm just letting you in on something that is just true. Uh, and it feels like a burden and feels like a weight uh, sometimes counselors, uh, who, people who are just good at the gift of mercy and the gift of listening and caring for people, uh, it feels like a burden at times when they, when they take on more and more stories of pain and suffering and grief from people. It can feel like a, like a major burden at times. And maybe that means they got to step back and, and take a break from exercising those gifts for a while. Maybe that means they haven't done a good job of, of being ministered to as opposed to just ministering to other people. But for whatever reason, the, the hope would be that, that over time, they would once again feel uh, the pleasure of using their gifts for the glory of God. You know, um, there's a guy named Eric Liddell, Liddell, and in the 1920s, he was a Scottish uh, Olympian who was very, very fast, and he was going to run in the 100 meter and in the 400 meter. You ever heard of the movie Chariots of Fire? Yeah? Okay. So this guy felt called because he had to pr- the gift of, of evangelism. He felt called to ministry um, in China. 
and it turned out that, uh, why am I telling you this story? Yeah, because his gift isn't what he says it about, it's his talent. I was going to tell you about the line where he says, God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure. But that's his talent, not his gift. But the point remains the same. (laughs) You should feel God's pleasure when you use your gift. Even if your gift is just sweeping up. Even if your gift is keeping babies quiet during the service so their parents can worship. Even if your gift, and I'm not denigrating those gifts. I'm saying that those are gifts that people don't really think of as gifts. They just say, I'm taking my turn. But you're not just taking your turn. You're using your gift, and it is being used by God for the, for the blessing of the entire church community. And when you, when you take that attitude and you realize that, you should take great pleasure in that. You should take joy in that. Not because God loves you any more for doing it. He loves you as much as he's going to love you regardless. But because his pleasure in your using your gifts brings you pleasure. All right. That's it.